everyone. It's uh, my privilege to introduce our speaker, Brother Spackman, if you'll come on up. Um, I love his British accent and what a story he has in and of himself of how the Lord changed his life. And um, he'll probably say more, but uh, the Dulham House we've been supporting, I don't know how many years we've been more than 20 years we've been supporting the Dulham House, uh, an orphanage uh, really founded because of the Tutwiler Women's Prison uh, in the Wetumpka area. The women that were pregnant when they're incarcerated, what, what happens to their children, their babies. And there's a Dulham House that has helped with many of those children as an orphanage and uh, taking care of them. So uh, I want you to give Brother Spackman a really good welcome. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good, right? And his mercies endure forever. How many know that's true in your life? I have a saying, I guess I've had this from the day I was born again. The best is yet to be. And one day, all the time, the best is yet to be. What is the best? That one day we will meet him in the air. Doesn't get no better than that. The journey we can say it gets better all the time. Not without hardships, not without troubles and trials, but it's a great journey for the saints of God. It's a great, can I hear an amen? amen. It's a great journey. Yes, sir. And I believe the end is very soon. He's going to put that crown upon my head. He's going to say, Well done, that good and faithful servant. Sir, no words for anything else but being the servants of the living God. That is the greatest call in life to be a servant of the Most High God. There is nothing to compare with being a servant of God. I can tell you one thing for sure. The man that I serve, the God that I serve never fails. He never fails. And what an awesome privilege to be called a servant of the living God. There's no greater place in life than that. A servant of the living God. I I just got back from uh, Moldova on Friday night, midnight, and uh, trying to get ready yesterday to be here for today. something else <laughs> my mind is everywhere <laughs> for real just being everywhere it is probably more than 20 years I can't remember to be honest with you I know it's at least 20 years since I was here and what a privilege to come back well I met pastor at uh, pastor Jones's funeral a few months ago and he said, but Pete, you have to have your back sometime. And we kind of thought about December, but that didn't come to, to be. And we, uh, we agreed on the 5th of February. I didn't have a clue where it was going to be. <laughs> and, you know, he called me last week, 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> For real. And I've been having problems with my sleep. 
for about, oh, for a long time, at least a year. And I find myself just sleeping one or two hours a night. And uh, last week, I was unconscious. <laughs> I was fast asleep. I've been in bed since about 10. I went to sleep right away, and I woke up. I heard that phone ringing. Oh, oh, oh. I was in Moldova, in a place called Kish now. And the phone rang, and I staggered over to the phone. <laughs> yeah? You know it's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was fully aware that I was going to be here this Sunday. Uh, God permitting through health and things like that. And whatever happens in your life. We're not guaranteed another day, are we? And sometimes when we're in the will of God and in the right place with God... Things, they don't just happen, but to us they do. They just happen. But in God's mind, it's his purposes and plans for our life. Is that right? Yes. The, the steps of a righteous man are ordained by the Lord. Amen. Amen. And them that are led by the Spirit, them, as many as the sons of God, the scripture says, they are led by the Spirit of God. So no man knows what a day holds. Might be here today, gone tomorrow. I remember years ago, a gentleman called our house and my daughter who was the youngest at the time was about six she answered the phone and said is your daddy there she said um, let me think about it she's six she said he's either cutting the grass or he's upstairs that meant I was praying or he's in Russia <laughs> That's what she knew about it. <laughs> and so you never know where you're going to be. <clears throat> but I am blessed to be here this morning. Father, I just bow before you. In humility, Lord, the recognition of who we are in you today by your grace. And pray, Lord, that I'll honor you today and glorify your name. And make you known, Lord, into the hearts of those who never met you before. I pray, Father, that you'll have your way in this house this morning. Do what you will, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I came um, with several things in my heart to preach. In fact, I was up all hours writing some notes. Because yesterday I began to work on it and got tired fell asleep. And uh, that's okay. And, uh, but I was up early this morning and on the way down talking to Cole and I think he asked me what are you going to preach I, said, I haven't got a clue because <laughs> <laughs> I had two of these messages on my heart but I just want to speak from my heart that's okay just want to glorify God with everything that is within me I believe the greatest position I said in the beginning for human being was to be called the servants of the living God. And I don't know, I know that's a very deep thing, being the servants of the God that we can't see. In fact, it's a miracle that God would reach down, the unknown God would reach down his hand 
touch your heart. Bring us to a place of repentance. And to hear him say, you are mine. You are mine. You're not your own. I paid the price. To understand that is the most incredible thing. Because you stop thinking about yourself. And you stop that self-centered life that says me, mine, and all of this. But nothing we have is our own. Nothing we have is our own. Our ministry, our money. It was all mine before I became a Christian. But when I became a Christian, I became all his. And that's the key, isn't it? When you're all his, he can do what he wants with you. The scripture says as many of the sons of God, as many as receive him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. When you read about the sons of God and the word of God, you think, wow, how could that be? When you look at the lives of Abraham, Moses, Paul, Peter, the list goes on. You think, them as godly men and mighty men, but they're not. It's just a mighty God that lived in them. And it's a mighty God that led them. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I want to read. You know what? We read about the Moses, the Abrahams, and the great saints of God. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of people in this Bible uh, who, are, who are not in this Bible. Are just as important to God and play just as an important role as they did in the kingdom of God. They carried the divine message of redemption, a great message to a world that's lost. And many of them will, you'll never hear of, many of them you'll never recognize. And um, to seek recognition. It's totally against what God would have us to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that you have need of will be added to you. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad we don't have to beg, steal and borrow in this life that we walk? Because our provision is provided by God according to his word. Everything we have need of. I remember reading and just a day or two saved. Matthew chapter 6 and he said, take no thought for your life. Come on there. Take no thought for your life. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Look at the lily, he says. Solomon in all his glory couldn't dress up like they do. <laughs> Come on there. And I read that and I thought, man. He's talking about me. I've been saved a couple of days. He's talking about me. It's amazing, isn't it, that God, once you were lost, knows you listened to as the devil. You didn't know it was him, but it's your own mind and everybody else around about you. But then God begins to talk to you. And isn't it amazing how things change? And I read that scripture, and I promise you, Two days or three days before I was a Christian, I was in this prison cell in 
a place called Wigan and then I was transferred for something I did to another prison in a place called Manchester, England. It was on the bottom bunk and on the top bunk was a calendar. There was only, it was a three-man cell, but I was the only one in it. And I looked at that, cal I looked at that calendar and I'd never seen a calendar in prison before. But on that, in, on, there was a scripture on that calendar that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he'll lead and guide your path so that he'll make a way straight. Now, I wasn't a Christian, but I read that scripture. I was in a mess. And I, did, I just put it aside. I didn't think about it at all. But when I got saved, when I became a Christian, met with Christ face to face, I knew for sure that I could depend on him. Yes. Not just because of his word, but the way he provided through the years to my mom, who was a Christian. I just knew it in my heart. I want to read to you before I go any further. I want to read in Genesis chapter 15. We're all going to see a great servant, but I want to tell you there's two great servants in this book, in this chapter I'm going to read. After these things, the words of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. The words of the Lord, I like that. Saying, fear not, Abraham. Don't be scared, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. How many know that God's your shield today? <coughs> then we don't need to be afraid, do we? And Abraham said, Lord, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer. How can you pronounce that? Eliezer. Eliezer. Eliezer, whatever. Eliezer. No, it's significant. The name is significant. Eliezer. And Abraham said to me, Thou hast given me no seed, and lo, one bone in my house is mine here. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine hair. But he that shall, talking about Eliezer, this shall not be thine hair, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine hair. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. That is amazing, isn't it? But God spoke that, and God isn't the God that he should lie. Many people are confused today by what they hear, but you'll never be confused if you read the word of God. You'll never be accused because all you have to do is to believe it. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not for what he did, but for what he believed. He believed that God had spoken to him. He believed that God was going to use him. He believed that God, the things that God told him then out of his... Now listen to me. He was 75 years of age. I don't know you know the story. There's not much life inside that old man, but there was. But there was 75 years of age. He never questioned God at that time. God said, of thine own seed. Then he goes on to tell him about the, the dust. If you can count all the dust on the ground. If you can't count all the dust on the ground, you'll never be able to count the sons and daughters and kings and queens that will come out of your loins. This is a man 75 years of age. And he believed God. Yes. And God said to him in chapter 12, I believe it's chapter 12, he said, Abraham, 
He'd been there with his father. He'd been and lived in Harden with his father and settled down in Harden. He left Europe of the Chaldeans and ended up with his cousin and his, his nephew and his brother in a place called um, Harren. The father, God had brought the father there, his, his father Terah, and when he got to Harren, he settled down, but Terah died and so did Nahor. So did uh, my memory. I have, um, I'm not going to complain. Heron had died there. God had sent them to live in Canaan, but they stopped at Heron. Whatever God tells you to do, don't stop anywhere. And he stopped at Heron and Abraham accumulated a lot of wealth. In fact, he had over 300 servants, household servants that were raised in his house. He had sheep and goats and oxen and cattle that could never be counted. And God told him to leave his family, his kindred, and go to Canaan, the land of Canaan, where he would give that land to his seed forevermore. Not for then, but forevermore. You think about the faith. The Bible said that faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Is that right? Come on now. Moses was 40 when he left Israel. When he left Egypt. After failing to set the Israelites free. He had to run because he murdered an Egyptian. And for 40 years. He's in the backside of the desert. And God spoke to him through a fire. I know that you know this. But God spoke to him. As he spoke to Abraham. And I want to tell you, God's not tired of talking to us. He's not tired and he never will be tired of talking to us. Because he talks to us every day. Not that we hear him every day. You know your children that run around you. And they're saying, daddy, mommy, whatever. And you don't really hear them, but you know they're around you. Well, that's the way it is with God. He told us that he would walk with us. He would walk amongst us. And he would never leave us. I know you know that, but I know that I know that. I know that I know that I know. When God speaks and I listen, I'll do whatever he asks me to do. But most of the time, he just leads us. Is that right? He just leads us where he wants us to be. Or where he would be the most effective in our lives. Not me being the effective one. But him being the most effective in our lives. Wherever he wants to be. Not where I want to be. But where he wants to be. And I'm the vessel. I'm the temple of the living God. Wherever he wants me to be. That's where he's going to take me. Because that's where he wants to be. Does that make sense? Because he wants to be. He's faithful. God is faithful. Born and bred in Liverpool. 1944. Second of nine children. Lived in poverty. Everything was on ration because of the war. Everything was on ration so there was nothing. Not much you could get. But my mom was an amazing cook. 
We didn't have anything in the house. In fact, six of us slept in the same bed for years. In the same bed. But my mom made sure we ate every single day. She made sure and she wept over us every single day. By the time my sister was eight, there were six of us. And she just loved us, cried over us, and worried over us. She found out she was having the seventh child and she wanted to commit suicide because she couldn't provide for the other six. What a mess she was going to be in. She got pregnant and fear came upon her life. The doctor confirmed that she was pregnant, so she tried to get rid of the baby. Several months later, she went back to the doctor and everything was fine. She had that baby just before she had that baby. She called her Christine. God spoke to my mom one night while she was sleeping. Told her that he died for her. That Jesus came to set her free from her sin. She was on her own. No Christian friends. And in the middle of the night, she gave her life to Jesus. Because he spoke to her. He spoke to her. Come on now, it's not some light thing. When God speaks to you, I hear men saying, God spoke to me last night, rubbish. When God speaks to you, I'll tell you, it will be powerful, it will be awesome, and it will be personal. He was personal with Abraham. He was personal with Peter. He was personal with Paul. He didn't need nobody to convey the message to them. He spoke himself. And when you hear God's word, Faith cometh by hearing, not just some flat word, but faith come by hearing by the word of God, by the word of God. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. That's an amazing thing that God will want to talk to you and me. But he talked to my mom and told her that he was the savior, that he was the Christ, that he died for her sin. And she didn't confer with no preacher or tell my dad, no sir. She said, yes, Lord. She fell on her knees because she knew it was God. And when you knew it's God, you're not a winner. Come on now. You don't have to ask anybody else, what does this mean or what does that mean? He's your father. He knows what it means. He's going to tell you. Come on now. I have one father. I have one teacher. That is the Holy Ghost. Come on now. He conveys the message of the Father through the Son, through the Holy Ghost. And talks to us. And when you know that he's talking to you, you don't have to confer with nobody. That's what Paul said. Didn't ask anybody's advice what this was or what this is. He said, this is direct from God. Does God still speak that way? Of course he does. Every single day. You get on your hands and knees and you tell him, I love you, Lord. We'll be seconds. I love you too. Yes, sir. So my mum got born again, told me about it. Next thing I know, I'm 17 in prison. A young men's prison in England for two years. And while I was there, I got a letter from my father. And my father, it was October 1962. My father said, son, your mum's dying. She's cancer. And he said, is there any possible way before she dies that you can go and visit her? I went to the warden, the governor of the prison, and I said, sir, got this letter off my father today. My mum's in a bad shape. She's about to die. Is there any way I can go and visit her? 
before she dies. And he says, if she dies, you can go to the funeral. I escaped that night. I wasn't waiting for no funeral. Because I loved my mum despite the mess I was in. And I made my way. I escaped and made my way to Liverpool over 100 miles away. I got there in the middle of the night, 7 o'clock that night, sorry. I got there 7 o'clock that night, filthy dirty. And when I got in there, my mother was holding a nine-pound, four-ounce baby. Four months before, she'd gone to the doctor and found out she was pregnant. She told her that they'd have to take that child from her because of what the radium had done inside that womb. They told her that they would have to take the breast off. She refused. And she believed that God would bring forth that child and that she'd be healed. And there that she is holding a nine-pound, four-ounce baby called Faith. She called her faith. God dramatically healed my mum. She died in 2014 at the age of 92. Because she heard from God. Someone may tell you what the word of God says and will say to you, you know, you don't have to die. It's only when God says that to you that you can believe that. Come on now. God has personal friends. I said God has personal friends. Abraham was a friend of God, is that right? (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? Amazing gospel. And God began to provide for my mom and for the rest of the family, but I'd broke her heart. And she would write to me at least once a week in prison. And say, son, unless you get your heart right with God, you're going to die and go to a lost eternity. She made no bones about it. The wages of sin is death. That's what she's telling me in them letters. I get them. <laughs> get mad. You know why? I was embarrassed. Because them guards would read them letters. The censor, when them letters come in, he'd read them letters. There's a little old tough me there. And my mum's telling me I'm going to a lost eternity, I'm going to hell. And it was making me so mad. Every single letter over the years, in 1975, I was back in prison, I'd only been out three days from the last sentence. And I broke her heart. But one day, years before, she'd gone in a church meeting Saturday night. And uh, she dedicated all the children to God years before. And this Saturday night, she was in turmoil. And the preacher preached. And he said, I've heard your prayer. Your children will be safe. I'm in prison. In 1975, I'm in prison again. And it busts their heart. It's too long to tell. But she fasted and prayed. She never quit. In January 1976, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning to go to work in the kitchen. While I was there, I heard something say to me, no, not something. I heard him break through 
into my heart. Brokenness is of God. It's the goodness of God that brings a man. It's the goodness of God that brings a man, that saves a man. It's only the goodness of God that brings a man to repentance. They forgot that message today. Unless you realize you're a sinner and only God can do that. I'm a good person, I'm a nice person. No, the Bible tells me that there's none good but one. My father in heaven. And when he broke through, he breaks through into that life through much prayer and fasting and seeking God. I just broke. There was no questions in my heart at all. He brought me to my knees and I said, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I went to bed that night and the next morning I woke up free as a bed. The Bible says he, now I understand nothing. Remember, I'm a baby. I don't know nothing about nothing. A baby that comes out of that womb doesn't know nothing. All it does is feed on that breast, suck, 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 and the next thing it's walking. Come on now. Come on. But it wouldn't be able to walk without that breast. The life is in that breast. And the life is in the word of God. That baby didn't understand it as much as I did. Just read that book. That's the, come on, that's life. I am the bread of life. Any man eats and drinks of this, he'll never die. That's what it says. It's so simple as that. You believe in your heart, you begin to read that book. You'll never die. And you're free. I was one day saved and I knew I was free. I didn't care where it was. It didn't matter. I never thought about that then. But when I look back in life, I did never care in the doggone world. No future, no nothing as far as the world concerned. I'm coming out of prison in a couple of months and I'll be back in in a couple of months. That's what that world would have said. I came out of that place, boy, I was triumphant. I had no hang-ups about the guys that would be knocking on the front door. No, sir. I was free. I didn't have any worries about not having any clothes. Didn't have any worries because I read in that Bible. In Matthew 6, like I said, take no thought for tomorrow. You're talking about God now. He's not a God that I should lie. Every promise he makes is for you and for me. And all we have to do is be like Abraham and believe it. And it'll be counted for us as righteousness. A righteous man is that he that believes in the word of God. It's what a righteous man is. Doesn't understand it all. I'm guarantee you, Moses didn't understand, no sir. Neither did Abraham, didn't understand until he got on that journey. And once you get on that journey, come on now. Yes sir, I came out of that place. But let me tell you, it didn't come out before there was 13 of us saved. Ain't nobody in that prison saved when I got saved. And I was nervous, I'll be honest with you. The day I woke up, I walked in that kitchen and I'd been singing. I mean, I've really been singing. <laughs> you raised up a child in the way she goes, when he's old, not depart from it. My mom didn't play rock and roll or country music, no. Everything she played was gospel. When I come out of prison, she bought me a Connie Smith gospel song. She bought me a George Jones gospel song. <laughs> Don't ever buy anything at George Jones. Right? It's nothing. <laughs> but I remember she bought me that, that, that uh, cassette, not cassette, the old LP. And it was the Gaithers. And the song that they were singing was, How great thou art, how great thou art. My man would play that when I was drunk. 
I'd come home and she'd play all them songs, play all them gospel things, appealing to my country nature. I like country music. She appealed to that, but never worked. But when I got born again and I come out of prison, first thing I heard, when I got saved, was how great thou art. When I got down on my knees and began to pray, out of my heart came them words, and then sings my soul. Boy, if I could sing, I'd be dangerous. <laughs> then sings my soul, my Savior God. I mean, everybody in that wing could hear this man. Now, that wasn't my intention, because I was just on my knees, and I'm telling you, from day one, reading this book, man cannot live. And the more you read, it's not familiar. You don't become familiar. That's what they said with him. You just know him. You know him. It's not familiar with God. No, I know God. Yes. I know him enough to say thank you. Read these promises. I knew that I, that scripture three days before I was saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. If I didn't believe he was talking to me, then I don't know. There's no such place as America. But I believed in my heart that he was the Christ. And so when I come out, for me, I wasn't prepared at all. But he was. He was prepared for the path that I was about to tread. I knew nothing about the future. I just, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. No job, no future, no nothing. But I had everything. I was free. Yes. Didn't have to worry about getting drunk, waking up at a prison cell. Didn't have to wake up and think of guys knocking on my door. Didn't have to go looking for women, nothing. He finds the answer, finds Jesus. Yes. And it's the truth, I found Christ. And so, listen, I was home one day, there's a knock on the door. It's four of my friends from the past. Every time I come out, that's what happens. We go on the binge. And we, in fact, the three-day interval that I had last time, I was only home three days and I was drunk. They'd come to the door and off we went. They come knocking this time. And I said, I can't go with you. They said, why? I said, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian too. <laughs> that's what he said, Tony. He said, I'm a Christian too. <laughs> there was me, him, and another guy named Paul, and another guy. And we were driving a van this night, and we just stole a safe. We broke into a place. And we passed the Catholic church with this. Never even got the money out yet. And he blessed himself. <laughs> I said, no, man. I said, a real Christian. I said, I said, I've been born again. I'm not going there no more. They never come back. I didn't have to make decisions not to mess with them. They made the decision not to mess with me. My mom was nervous when she heard that knock on the door. But when I come back in, she went, no nervous man, she's dancing. <laughs> she knows the biggest hurdle, humanly speaking, for me was that bar. Yeah, that, I could never put that booze down. 
I could never stop doing that. She, she knew that they were no longer a part of my life. And whenever they saw me again, whether it was a week or a year later, they would walk on the other side of the road. That made me feel so glad. Because I didn't identify with them. But I loved them. Nearly 25 years later, I'm walking in the mall in England with my brother-in-law, Norman, just before he got saved. And I hadn't seen Paul, that guy, or Tony in 25 years. And I'm walking in the mall. Norman says, do you know who this is? I said, no. He said, it's Ozzy. That was Ozzy speaking. And Paul Osborne said, you spackle? I said, yeah, man. He said, how come you haven't lost your hair? <laughs> First thing he said, he said that I believe it was, uh, it was the day of the, uh, the races in England, the Queen's races, I forget what they call it. But he said, have you had a bet? I said, I don't bet, man. He said, well, come and have a drink with the boys. I said, no. He said, you're still a Christian? Made a big change in me. Made a big change in me. Yeah, he did. But I come out, no idea what the future held. Eliezer was kind of similar. He was the servant of Abraham. And he had what God had said to Abraham. No, he's not going to be there. He's not going to get everything you've got. He's not going to be. This or he's not going to be that. So out of your loins. Eliezer knew he was always going to be a servant. And a faithful servant he was. He believed Abraham loved God with all his heart. Despite the fact that Abraham made many mistakes. When Abraham left Haran or Haran came into the promised land. He came to a place called Bethel where he built a temple to the Lord. And in his liberty, now in the promised land, he worshipped the Lord, his God. He worshipped the Lord. When he got there, he worshipped God. I want to tell you, he hadn't got there yet, but in his heart he was in the right place with God. He was in that right place with God. And I want to tell you, I ain't got there, but I'm there. Ain't got where he's taking me, and he ain't got you ain't there where he's taking you, but you're there. You're right there. He set off from Bethel. The Bible says, listen to this. A great famine hit the land. What did Abraham do? Come on now. What did Abraham do? Did he say, Father? I know that I trust you with all my heart and lean not to my understanding. I know there's family, but I know that you can provide. No, that's not what he did. He went back into Egypt. Come on now. And he told that wife of his, that beautiful wife of many years, he said to her, when we get here, you're very pretty. Come on now, I didn't have to wait 35 years of marriage to tell my girl she's pretty. 
Come on now. He gets it there and he says, when we go here, we're going to see your beauty. He said, you can save my bacon. That's what he said. You can save my life. You can preserve me. If you tell him you're my sister. To just live by faith. And sometimes we do things that we're not supposed to do. But does that mean we're not faithful? No. No. Just made a very bad mistake. Instead of just saying, Lord, I'm waiting on you to make a way for me. My people are hungry. I've 318, 318 servants. They're hungry. Please make a way. He's in the right place, but he goes back. I want to tell you, I've never gone back. And I don't intend to. Have I made mistakes? Just like Abraham, yes. But you know, we're led by the Spirit of God. And the moment we mess up, we know it, don't we? We know it. And you get in that place and you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. She goes in and she tells him she's his sister. And God deals with that Pharaoh in the night. That ain't his sister. It's his wife. How he did that? He put a plague on his house. Come on now. He put a plague on his house. One mistake. Put a plague on his house. And the king comes, Pharaoh comes, throws him out. Sends him away. But he never sends him away poor. He sends him away rich. He'd be glad to get rid of him. You know why? Because God did what he did, brought them plagues. And he says in his heart, I ain't messing with this guy. Talking about Abraham. I ain't messing with this guy. And instead, he brought him presents, donkeys, sheep, everything. The Bible says, he and silver and gold, he went away very rich. Now all the time, he makes these decisions. Eliezer is with him. Eliezer is with him. The next thing you know, and it's a lot to tell this message. The next thing you know, he's with Lot. And it comes towards Sodom and Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen are having a fight. Because there's too much, there's not enough land for the, both heads. Abraham's talks to Lot and he says, now listen, we shouldn't be quarreling over this. Like it's hot, don't you? We shouldn't be fighting over this. There's a lot of land. You go left and I'll go right. Or you go right now. Whatever you choose, I'll go the opposite way. And the Bible says he looked up, Lot looked up and said, saw them well-watered plains. He says, that's for me. I'm going that way. And he headed towards Sodom. And when he'd gone, God said to, Moses, to Abraham, pulled him aside. I love this. He said, now you look up. Now you look up and see this land, all of it. See all of it. I'm going to give it to you. And those that, your descendants and those that come after you, I'll give them every bit of it. You walk the length and the breadth of this land. You walk and see what I'm giving you. Come on now. 
And guess what he did? He started to walk the length and the breadth of it. It's amazing, isn't it? When God places us in a place, make sure we walk the length and the breadth of it. Cover every parcel of ground that you can. You know, it's amazing how God led Abraham. But I look at the servanthood of Eliezer. He was with him through everything. And finally, when you know the baby, you know uh, Hagar. He watched how Hagar got pregnant and it wasn't through Sarah. He saw all that mess. He saw her dumped in the wilderness. He saw everything. He saw Moses, Abraham, sorry again, mess with another king. Tell her, tell him, no, the first lesson wasn't good enough, but come on now. In your amazement, the faithfulness of God. Do another did exactly the same thing. Tell him. Tell him that you're, just, you're my sister. And again, another plague fell on that place. And that king said, I was going to kill you, but God spoke to me. Amazing. Eliezer watches all our failures, but he also watches the greatness that is in Abraham. Especially when the Sodomites fought against them, four kings. And the Sodomites were killed with along four other kings. But more, and everything was taken. The other kings took everything that belonged to Lot. And everything that belonged to the people of Sodom. And Moses, and Abraham, sorry. And his 318 household guests. Armed. But looking for them. Come on now. Saw that about him. He loved Lot too. He went after him. Come on now, it's unbelievable. He went after him. Rescued him. And took nothing from Melchizedek when it was offered to him. He said, if I take it from you, people will think that you made me rich. But God's made me rich. God gave me all of this. Come on. It's amazing, isn't it? When the angels came and told Abraham, she was sitting in the tent with Sarah. By this time next year, you'll have that son that he promised you. She laughed. Come on, people laugh when you talk about the word of God. When you say what God said to you, they'll laugh at you. But I want to tell you, we'll always have the last laugh. I told you so. I told you so. My mum wrote a book. In that book, it was, I told you so. Waiting for that son to be saved. Waiting for him to walk with God. Yes. Waiting for him to just love his saviour. When I met my wife Angie, I was losing my hair. My mum was a Christian, man. I mean a real Christian. She was like Eliezer. Nobody knew anything about her. When we decided to get married, Angie and I, she put her hand on my head and she said, Lord, don't let this girl be married to a bald man. <laughs> she meant every single word that she said, man. It worked. You're laughing at me. <laughs> but I want to tell you, it's a mighty gospel. You ask anything in my name. He didn't say some things. 
You ask anything that's important to you. My mum was married to my dad. At 25 years of age, he was bald. So she knew what it was like to be married to a bald man. <laughs> As a young woman, no. I'm telling you the truth. And the kids in our street would call my dad baldy. My mum didn't want nobody calling me baldy. You remember what happened to the, those guys that started calling Elijah baldy? The bears come and chopped them up. Yeah. <laughs> this preach is not serious. I'm serious as life and death. God's a great God. Yes. And the plans he has for you and for me are unbelievable. I married that girl. And now between us we have 15 children. I have four daughters, all love God, all serve God. They're having church just as we do today. Why does a man become faithful? Because he knows nothing greater than the faithfulness of God. It's never a gamble. It's a guarantee. You believe God, then he'll make a way. Abraham had that son. When the son, she died at 127 years old. Come on now. She lived 37 years after the birth of her boy. Abraham would tell her all the time, I told you so. <laughs> he never fails. People say that he never fails. Even though they've never had any victories in their life. But the word of God is for you and for me. He never fails. And he has a purpose and a plan for you. Two days after I was saved, I saw every prisoner. The way I saw myself. And I knew deep in my heart that each and every one of them had families, loved ones, Children, them children would come in with the wives every month. That guy would get all, do the best to get dressed up when they'd come in. They'd end up fighting because they couldn't kiss, couldn't do nothing, hold hands. Frustration, the devil's a thief and a liar. And that's what he came to do, destroy. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my heart, my God, I got the answer. I'm day saved. And I know that God can set every one of them free. And I began to pray every night, God. And I didn't know they would hear me. I'd get on my knees and I'd pray. Lord God, have mercy. Save these men. I would every day. I would wake up. Lord God, they're going to a last eternity. They're going to a life of brokenness and emptiness. They're children. Lord, I have the answer. Help me. And I found it hard and difficult to tell the first man that Jesus loved him and died for him. But two weeks later on a Saturday morning, there's 13 of us in our cell praying. When I left, it was 33 of us saved. When I come home, I found a job after three months, April, May, six months. Everywhere I went looking for a job, they'd say, where have you worked for the last 10 years? And I'd tell them I've been working for the Queen. <laughs> Her Majesty's prisons. 
And they'd say, I'm like this all the time, I promise you. <laughs> they'd say, well, we'll call you. They never did. But one Friday morning, my auntie, who's younger than me, came to our house, my mother's younger sister. And she said, I'm looking for your mom. I said, what's up? She said, I need, I need someone to pray for me. I said, I'll pray for you. So she told me the problem, and I prayed for her. And I said to her, you know, Linda, I just phoned the company this morning. I've been looking for the job every day since I've been home. I've never found one. But I said, I know one thing for sure. He got a job for me. I ain't doubting He's got a job. The Bible says, let him not steal, steal no more. But let him work with his hands so he can provide for himself. No, so he can give to others. I said, you know, Linda, God's got a plan for me. He got a job. I said, in fact, on Monday morning, I've got an interview. I said, and that guy tells me no hope, then that's okay. I know he's got a future. That night, I had five pounds in my pocket. Went to a church meeting, a tent revival, and he took up an offering for the preacher. He was brilliant. I could put the five pounds in my pocket. All I had in that offering. Didn't know what was in that. I just gave it to him. Saturday morning, the phone rings. Mr. Spackman, you got an appointment Monday morning. I said, yes, sir. He said, could you start instead at seven o'clock? I didn't have to tell him about my past. Didn't have to tell him nothing. Started work. Ended up with that company in Scotland for three years. I'm from Scotland and went to a Bible school in the north of Scotland. By this time, with two children. God was getting me ready for what he wanted me to do. I just loved the Lord anyway. And people would ask me to come and share, and I would. But then one day I was asked to preach in America on TV with Jim Baker to 150,000 prisoners by satellite. And I said, I'd love that. I'd love to do that. This was the first challenge about being a preacher or traveling. I've been married almost 10 years. Getting me ready. I had three beautiful daughters at that time. A beautiful wife. And I work with my hands. That's a testimony. Someone like me. We want you to come on satellite and preach to 150,000 prisoners. And I said, I'd love to do that. And I said, I'll have to apply for a visa to get there. And my first thought was, <laughs> you ain't getting no visa. <laughs> I told my pastor's wife, I said, they ain't going to give me no visa. She said, why? I didn't have an answer. She said, have you asked? I said, no. She said, we're going to ask. So I went down to Edinburgh, 180 miles. Well, this is real. Went to the embassy, told her I'd to go to America. I'd like a visa. She gave me a form to fill in. The bottom of the form, it says, any convictions? I just put Yes. She asked me how many convictions. I said, 13. She said, could you tell us what they are? I said, well, I can't remember them all, but I can tell you as much as I can. She said, well, you have to write to the Crown and get, a days of every, get your convictions and the dates of every one of them. I said, okay. 
So I left, went home to Angie, my wife, and I told her what they said, and she said, well, I'll write you a letter. So she wrote the letter. Four days later, I got a telephone call. Four days later. Mr. Spackman? I said, yes. Pete, born 2059-1944, said, that's me. We can't find any trace of any criminal history of yours. <laughs> you can't figure that out, neither can I. But when I applied for my green card several years later while I'm in America, amazing, isn't it? Applied for the green card. And he told me that I'd have to... I told him exactly how many convictions I had. This is six years later. And so they said, you have to find your records. So I did. I went for every courthouse. I applied every place in Britain. Got them all and presented them to them. And she said, you'll never get a green card. You'll never get a green card in America. I've got three daughters with me standing in London at the embassy. And she said, it is just one conviction. I said, no, ma'am, it's 13. File that law, that big. I ain't kidding you, not exaggerating you, nothing. And she said, Well, how did you get to America in the first place? You must have lied. I said, No, ma'am, I didn't lie. I told her what happened. And she said, Well, the embassy made a big mistake. And I said, Yeah, they must have done. She said, They don't make mistakes like that. I said, But they did, ma'am. And she was really mean. My daughters, my daughters were almost crying. They said, Daddy, that lady was mean. I said, but that ain't the end. Call a lawyer and I told him. He's in London, too, I'm in London. Call a lawyer. He said, well, come down to the office. He said, give me your pink slip. I said, what pink slip? He said, when they reject you, they give you a pink slip to show it to the lawyer and whatever. I said, she never gave me no pink slip. He said, go home. I'll call you back. Next month, you got your green card. Went to that embassy and he said, Mom, and told her the whole thing. He said, He said you're never making the mistakes. Could you open this file? And then in the middle of the file was a pink slip. Don't you tell me, God. Don't make a way. As much as he made a way for Abraham, produced that son who's many, many moons later produced the son of God. Nothing can stop him. I said, nothing can stop the almighty God. Amen. I got in them prisons. Let me tell you something. Within three months, I was in every prison in Alabama. Every one. Three months. Within three months, every day, ten, days, ten hours a day, including Sunday, I'd walk them prison yards. They asked me what I wanted to do. I told them I want to walk the yards, talk to the men in person, and then preach. And that's what they let me do. There wasn't one prison in Alabama not any of them. I could go in any time I wanted. Amen. Come on now. When I tell them that now, they said, that can't be. I said, but it was. Every single day, there wasn't one prison. Many years later, I've been hundreds of prisons all over America. At one time, I had 20,000 students in the Bible school that we produced through Brother Clendon at one time. I drove all around America. I drove from here to California. I drove all the way back. I would be out three or four weeks and I'd go through Kansas, prisons in Kansas. I had a contract with CCA, Corporations Corrections of America, as a first human being to get a contract to go in all their prisons across the world. They have 70 prisons in America. 
I put the school in 69 of them. I preached for three nights. Every time it's set up, we had a living contract. I've still got that contract today. Listen to this though. On my 60th birthday, I think it was to be, and it was a birthday of some kind. I get, yes, 1996. I get home. Must have been, I don't know, no, it's later than that. 2006. 2006, I've been on a trip somewhere, I come back. And it was a big, it was my birthday. And there was a big tent up down the bottom of a dorm house. I thought, what the heck is that? I really did. And then I thought, oh, I'll kill her. I, it's my birthday, she's doing something crazy having a birthday party and put a big tent up and when I got there, the president of CCA was there and he presented me with a plaque the Pete Spackman Award for faithfulness to the prisons of the United States and in every state in America the most faithful servants get presented with the Pete Spackman Award I don't care about that. But the effect it has on this world is unbelievable. Elizar had that effect on me. Stuck there. Stayed there. All the way through, seen that child born. And then, so every mistake, I want to tell you, I have, a, I have a, a, um, an interpreter. His name is Gustavo. I worked with him in Peru for four years. In every prison, major prison, terrorist prison, I walked, worked with them for four years. He would be my translator. One time we went to a prison, but when we went, the government invited me in. And they ordered every prisoner and every prison officer into that, into that place. And the next day, the newspapers in that country, Peru, preached, uh, spoke about pa pastor, pastor, Pedro, the effect he had, that's me, on our prison and on, on what the work that we'd done. I didn't know any of this stuff, but there was no mention of Gustavo, just me. And I want to tell you without Gustavo, nobody knows his name, just like Eliza. Nobody knows who Gustavo is, but he's a mighty man of God. Never a mention of his name. And there's many in this world that are like that called of God sitting behind the stove every day praying for the children praying for the loved ones and every opportunity they get to make known the will of God for somebody else's life there is multitudes there is no big man that's what I told you in the kingdom of God just a great gospel Amen. just a great great gospel Abraham now Isaac is 30-something years of age, 37, I believe he must have been. And Abraham comes to, God came to Abraham, sorry, Abraham comes to Eliezer, and he says, Eliezer, I want you to do something. I want you to go and find a wife for my family, for my son Isaac. Don't take any of them Canaanites. Don't come back here with a Canaanite woman. You get me one of my own family. And he grabbed a hold of him, prayed with him strongly, and he said, yes, sir, I'll do that for you. Come on now. So he loaded up the camels. I believe it was 10 camels of every kind of goods that they could take. 
and he sets off for Nahor's house. And when he gets right close, he sees the, these wells. I love this. The fervent, effectual prayer of, of a righteous man availeth much. He don't have a clue what he's going to say. But he gets down on his knees. He sees them. He gets down on his knees. He sees them women coming to the well. And he says, Lord God, he said, I approach this woman. As soon as I get to her, Lord, let her hear me. I'm going to ask you to. He's talking to God to give me a drink of water. She gives me a drink of water and then she says, let me give you camels a drink also. Then I'll know that's it. What a relationship between the servant and God. The unknown servant. And he walks up to the girl. The Bible says before he finished praying, she's there with that can of water, with that jug of water. And, he, and she says to him, can I, feed, can I give you camels a drink too? Amen. Come on now. Yes. And he tells her, He's come and puts them jewels on her hands and on her ears. She runs in to tell her brother. And he comes out and he wants to know what's going on. And he says, come and have some refreshments with us. I'll take care of your camels and everything you have need of. And so, he says, before I do that, before I go in to eat with you, let me tell you what it's all about. And he begins to tell him about his master, Abraham. What a great man he is. And a great wealth. He never mentions one fault that he'd seen or come across. Not one. Just told him about the servants of God, Abraham, who God had called. Come on now. Not one, seen everything, but saw the whole picture. Sometimes we look at things that look shabby, but I want to tell you, if we believe God, it's going to be all right. Amen. You see a man fall, then pick him up. See a man make a mistake, don't run for him. Pray for him. Because he's just like you. A faithful servant brought her back. He brought her back. Saw that boy walking in the fields. He took her into his tent. Nobody knows who he is. Eliezer. But without him, there ain't no Jacob. There ain't no Joseph. Come on now. And you ask many people who it was, it was inspirational and all of that. They haven't got a clue. They say Abraham. I want to tell you without his Eliezer, Abraham's on his own. No, he's with God. I want to be a servant all my life. Preaching them prisons and tell you great awards and all them things. Right now, one of the best things I ever did is our children's home. I've adopted 11 children. They've come out of the bone in prison. The, moment, the day they're born in prison, we bring them home and we take care of them. My oldest son now, we got him a day old, he's 25. He loves Jesus. He, he's a, he's a, he plays instruments in church, plays the drums, he can play anything, guitar. He's in one of the big old churches in Alabama, in Montgomery. He come to see me last night. 25. 
He's got his own business. He went to Bible school for two years. And they gave him that scholarship. When he came back, I said to him, son, how's, how did it go? He said, well, dad, they offered me another year. They wanted me to come on and help them for a year. I said, you're going to take it? And he said, no. I said, son, they've just given you two years free scholarship. Go back and give them a year of your life. He said, dad, God's got a plan for me. He wasn't going to do what daddy said. He's going to do what father said. He said, God's told me to start a business. And in that business, I'm going to support the little house. That's raised me for 25 years. Within two months, he paid his first child $1,000. He's just opened another store. His mom was in prison all his life, never seen her. But when the church begins to move in the will of God, things happen. That's his testimony. He's never had to go that route, but he was raised by a Christian family. God gave my mum and dad. Alex is 21. The day he was born again. The day he was born, we took him in. He's a fireman now, married. Bought his own house. Not lived in the slums. Come on now. We've got many. Adriana is 26. She babysat for us for two weeks while me and Angie were in Moldova. Just gone. Married to a beautiful young man. They're not leaving for... Where are they going next month? Kansas. He's in the Air Force. I want to tell you the beautiful children I've got. That God has raised lovely kids that love their mum and dad. We've had over 300 children then in our home at Dolan House. And you guys, I don't know, have supported us for over 20 years, been faithful to us. Someone told me one time I went preaching from, from Scotland and England and they gave me a plaque. They had three children, they gave me a plaque, didn't give me an offering, gave me a plaque. You can't eat plaques. <laughs> But I never thought of it that way. At the end of the year, everything, every bill was paid. Every meal was eaten. At the end of the year, you just know that God's provided. If I'm dependent on some group of people, then I'm in trouble. But if I know that God will make a way, I'm never in trouble. A dome house was built out of just prayer. My mom prayed for me when everything looked bad and everything was at its worst. You know when she was dying? In 92, she was looking for me to tell me how proud she was of what God did in my life. But it's the fervent, practical prayer of a righteous man. Availeth much. I don't know today whether I've ministered into your hearts or what. But I know one thing, God is faithful. Right. We've been working, we've got a home in Africa. We've just been given seven acres of land in another part of Africa to build a hospital. We've got three homes in Moldova. And like I said, I just come from Ukraine. Last In November, I was in Ukraine. We bought vans. We took four van loads, great big vans, full of food into the Ukraine. You talk about a servant. There was five or six of us that took them vans right into Odessa. And when we got there, an old man met us, 70 years of age. 
His, all his family had fled to Romania. But he's waiting there. We unloaded them seven vans. No, I'm sorry, them five vans. We unloaded one. The next day before we'd gone, he made our beds. Before we'd gone, he'd gone into a war-torn area where they were fighting right at that moment. He took that food that very day. Nobody knows his name, I don't. But what a servant of God. Risked his own life. Family all over in the Ukraine, in, in um, Romania, safe. And him feeding the poor, the broken, and the destitute. Thought, no, nothing. What is that? You never know his name. But there's a name written down in glory that one day it says, This is him. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you today. I've been all around the world, Lord, in my thoughts. But I know, Father, your grace and mercy will speak into the hearts of every single man and woman. I don't know how you do that, but I know you do by the Holy Ghost. And I pray, Lord, today that every need has been met. I pray, Lord, that this church, this people be inspired by the goodness of God and the greatness of God. I pray today as they leave, Lord, they'll have hope for the family. They won't despair as they have in the past. But, Lord, they'll take courage and be full of joy in the knowledge that our God is real. And there's not one thing, he will, not one good thing he will withhold from us. I pray today for the pastor, the leadership of the church, that will go on to do great and mightier things in you. Just trusting you every day. Being faithful to the word of God every day. You ask no more than that, than our faithfulness, that we love you with all our hearts, with all our minds, and our neighbour as ourselves. Help us today, Lord. Help this church today. Be everything it's supposed to be, that servant. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Pastor.